Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover another name, football recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. The Irish beat Central Michigan 41-17 to on Saturday in less than stellar fashion, but the attention has turned quickly to Saturday's top 10 showdown with Ohio State. To preview the anticipated game, we asked longtime Ohio State beat writer and columnist Doug LeMaurice to drop some knowledge on us. You can find Doug's work on the Kings of Columbus show on the podcast YouTube channel and podcast feeds, which he does with the folks that run the Dotting the I site, the Ohio State site on the Rivals Network. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Doug, I want to start here. Does this game in any way feel bigger than last year's game? That's a really interesting question. That came a lot up a lot uh, on Tuesday at the Ohio State News Conference. I know it came up with Marcus. Just the idea that it's instead of the opener, I feel like both teams know themselves and the opponent better. I will say, like, the idea that Marcus Freeman is the Notre Dame head coach and he came into Ohio Stadium last year and, like, that was – I know he had coached the bowl game, but that was, like, the unveiling of Marcus Freeman right. head coach was pretty wild just from, like – a circle of life Ohio State standpoint (laughs) but I do think for the football I think this is bigger because Ohio State must have such respect for Sam Hartman such respect for this offensive line clearly you know just Marcus Freeman has communicated that he has a better handle now that he's not you know a first-year coach I think maybe for the outside stuff, last year was bigger. But for the football, even though the rankings aren't as high, I think for the football, this matters more and feels more real, mostly just because it's a little bit later in the season. Doug, you know, the one thing, as I kind of followed Ohio State through the rest of the year to see how they would do, the Michigan game shocked me how easily Michigan push the ball down the field, how easily they push the ball through that front seven. And I'm wondering what happened in that game and what did Ohio State do maybe this offseason to address that? So it's twofold. One is from a personnel standpoint. They just had some guys in matchups that just aren't to the typical Ohio State secondary standard. They had a, a recruiting blip especially in the secondary, but right around the time when Urban Meyer left and Ryan Day took over, right? You see that at, at programs a lot in that transition. They lost a couple guys on decommits. They just didn't hit out, hit on as many guys. And that came to bear, right? So they just, they didn't have as many good guys in coverage. And then Jim Knowles as a first year defensive coordinator last year, I think was too aggressive. And he was putting guys in situations where, they were getting safeties in one-on-one matchups. It's like, well, that guy can't cover that guy. Why are you blitzing here to allow that to happen? And I think they overblitzed against Michigan in particular. They got beat on another one against Georgia that was like a 75-yard touchdown where one guy fell down and that was it. And Jim Knowles has talked a lot this year of like, I got to chill out a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. we have good players here. When he was at Oklahoma State, you kind of have to – look for an edge schematically he said you have to be more feast or famine right because you know it's it's just you got a bunch of three-star guys at Oklahoma State here you don't have to be as much so I think he learned some lessons and also their players are better so their top three corners right now are better players than their top three corners last year 
And they have a couple playmakers at safety, too. I thought coming into this year, the secondary had a chance to be really good. I think they've played well, but it's both things. Better players, better plan. Doug, in order for Jim Knowles to not have to be aggressive defensively, or Ohio State will need to generate a pass rush against Notre Dame's offensive line. Do you think that it can do that uh, this Saturday? That was the question I asked Jim Knowles on Tuesday. I said, when you have an offensive line this good that that he talked about, that everybody at Ohio State obviously respects Notre Dame's offensive line, I said, do you have to blitz more? Because if you don't, you're not going to get pressure. And Jim Knowles gave one of those, well, that's the dilemma. And it was like, <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to make you so sad, man. Like, it's, it's there's no easy answer. So this defensive line for Ohio State, there are three third-year guys on this defensive line who are all huge recruits. JT Tuimolau and Jack Sawyer, the two defensive ends, were both top 10 national recruits. These are huge five-star guys. JT's from Seattle. Jack Sawyer's from down the street here in Columbus. And then Mike Hall at defensive tackle is a Cleveland kid who's like a top 50 national recruit. So this is the money year for all three of them. Those are three guys with NFL futures. You know, when they got recruited, it was sort of like, hey, is this the next Nick Bosa, the next Chase Young, the next... Cam Hayward kind of stuff. They probably haven't been quite that, but they're good players. It's hard to get a read on how good this pass rush is because the first two games Ohio State played this year, Indiana and Youngstown State just sat on the ball. It was like, I don't know. And then Western Kentucky gets it out so quick. They threw a lot, but they don't, they're not taking dropbacks. So I think the defensive line is pretty good. It's not the Bosa brothers, Chase Young, good. They don't get home a ton. So I think they're going to have to blitz because I don't, I don't think that they're just going to beat. Does not know what beats Joe Alt? I've watched every game. Has he been beaten on every run play? Joe Alt blocks two guys, and every pass play he handles his dude. He's unbelievable. He's even as good as you think Joe Alt is. He's better. So I think they're going to have to get a little bit risky and then hope that they can defend one on one on the back end because even though. They have some dudes on the defensive line. I just don't think they're going to get home consistently if they don't try to get a little tricky. Well, before I go on to my question, I think if I were um, the Ohio State defensive coordinator, who sounded like Ronald Reagan when you did his impression, well, uh, <laughs> well um, I, I would attack them in the middle of their offensive mm-hmm. line. I think that's where the where the fault line might be, but. Flipping over to the other side, you know, when I looked at the Ohio State statistically after two games and it, and it moderated a little bit after they played Western Kentucky, who's the worst run defense in the country, I was shocked at how maybe pedestrianly productive the running game was, given the fact you had a new quarterback in the first um, few games. And, and then... I'm I'm curious about Kyle McCord. I know he was a really highly rated kid coming out of high school, but I'm wondering if he's in that same vein as the recent Ohio State starting quarterbacks and even some that have transferred. Yeah, so strap in. This is a long answer. There's a okay. lot going on with this offense. So run game first. Two new tackles, new center. Right, Their left tackle from last year, Paris Johnson, was the sixth pick in the draft. Their right tackle from last year, Dewan Jones, 
was a fourth-round pick. He should have gone higher. He kind of messed up the draft process. But he's in Cleveland. There was an injury there. He started at right tackle against T.J. Watt on Monday Night Football, right? And their center, Luke Whipler, was really good also. Their tackles are not up to the Ohio State standard. Their left, the left tackle at Ohio State was the right tackle at San Diego State last year. <laughs> wow. I've never seen anything like that at any position in my 19 seasons covering Ohio State football. And it's not like people are sort of like, hey, won the job. And it's sort of like they didn't have anybody else. This was another <laughs> recruiting dip. They did not have anybody else to put there. Josh Fryer is a fourth-year guy. He's a veteran. They played him at left tackle in the spring because he kind of has been around the most. And then they're like, yeah, that's not working. So he's the right tackle. He was a recruit in the 500s. He's an Indiana kid. Solid player, but that's not usually who Ohio State's starting. So anyway, for the run game standpoint of it, like they're just working it out on the offensive line. Three new starters, and it's not up to the standard. Big deal last week against Western Kentucky, they used the word violent. They want the offensive line to play with more violence. They said they were blocking the right guys. It wasn't communication, but they were blocking the right guys, but they weren't blocking them hard enough. So they thought they saw that last week. But I think the offensive line remains a vulnerability. I've been freaking out about the left tackle spot for five months. So <laughs> I, I am not reassured by that. The backs, Trevion Henderson is a five-star guy, third-year player, was hurt a lot of last year. He's looked pretty good. Explosive, get wide, hit a cutback lane, turn on the Jets. He's that kind of guy. And then Chip Trainum's their physical running back right now. He was, he came to Ohio State. He was a running back at Arizona State, transferred to Ohio State to be a linebacker. Then they had so many running back injuries last year for the Michigan game. They said, you got to be a running back again. And he started at running back in the Michigan game when he's supposed to be in Columbus as a linebacker. He's looked pretty good. He's a good football player. So their one game, the backs are pretty good. The offensive line is iffy. Bottom line. It's like why I watched Joe Walt. Because I look at the Ohio State left tackle, like, oh my god! And then I watch Joe Walt, and I think this is what it looks like. They're not playing the same sport. <laughs> oh, okay, but what what's going on with Williams? That was the guy that punked Notre Dame last year. What's what's his deal? Mayan Williams. Yeah, he's kind of like the third running back now. He had an okay. injury in camp, and he in the first two games was almost like the the red zone back, like the bowling ball goal line back. But then against Western Kentucky, he didn't play very much. So I would have said coming into this year, Travion Henderson won Mayan Williams 1A, almost a running back share. I would have not anticipated this much Chip Trainum. It feels like Chip Trainum sort of taken the physical running back role away from Mayan Williams, but you also might see Mayan also. So they, they the first two weeks, they kind of played three backs. Last week, they more like played two. So, but Trevion Henderson's definitely first up, but they like the physicality of the other guys. As far as the quarterback spot goes, Kyle McCord, the third-year guy, wasn't named officially the starter until bef- week three before the Western Kentucky game. They had a real quarterback competition in August. Everything was, you just got to have a quarterback for Notre Dame. You got to work this out. You got to have a quarterback for Notre Dame. They do. They probably have the best wide receiver duo in the country. Right. And Arvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka. So that makes any quarterback look good. We're still trying to figure out, I think, like what Kyle McCord does best. CJ Stroud was super smart, super accurate. Justin Fields, legs and arm, right? Like really difficult to defend. 
So I don't, I don't know that Kyle's Kyle's not the athlete. Justin Fields was, I don't think he's like the processor and the great accuracy that CJ Stroud had. So they're trying to figure it out, but he's a five-star recruit in his third year. He's on track, right? This is how this should work. He just hasn't played much. So again, I asked, I asked Marcus Freeman and Ryan day, the same questions, like how much does quarterback experience matter? Last year, C.J. Stroud versus Tyler Buckner, huge edge for Ohio State. This year, Sam Hartman versus Kyle McCord, huge edge for Notre Dame. And Ryan Day said that matters, right? So I do the a big discussion point. I told you this answer was long. The big <laughs> discussion point around here is it is very rare in a regular season game, especially since Ryan Day got here, started as the coordinator in 2017, that Ohio State doesn't have the better quarterback. It's just like the Big Ten hasn't had quarterbacks. Like they're starting to get there now. So this, it's like, who would you take in this game? If there was a draft, all right, quarterback, who's up? You're taking Hartman or McCord. I mean, you take Hartman. And that's an unusual position for Ohio State. Doesn't mean Kyle McCord's not good, but this is not usually where Ohio State is. Well, it's usually not where Notre Dame is because (laughs) we were talking about in these matchups versus top 10 teams, this is usually the thing Notre Dame has to make up for their quarterback. It's very interesting to go in a game where they are perceived to have the edge at that position. I can't remember the last true one. Maybe maybe one of the Brady-Quinn games. But, I mean, you know, the USC game, he was going against Matt Leinert, who was a Heisman Trophy winner. So, I mean, even then, I don't know that they had the advantage. Yeah, so, you know... I think Ohio State hopes they saw Kyle McCord played pretty well last week, right? Yeah. A couple coverage breakdowns. Western Kentucky kind of has an incompetent defense. So (laughs) it's not going to be as easy as it was last week for Ohio State. And they know that. But, you know, just get the ball out and get it to Harrison and Abuka and let them do their thing. And a lot of quarterbacks will look good. Doug, I I, I did watch a lot of the passing game so far this season. And it's just, it's stunning how it seems like stupid people are when trying to cover Marvin Harrison. It's like, of course the safety can't cover him. What are you, what are you doing? How are you letting someone just run by you? Um, But my, my, my thought is that Notre Dame, it seemed like last year did a good job in preventing long passing plays. Um, CJ Stroud made some things happen. There was obviously the one third down touchdown pass that Notre Dame inexplicably blitzed its safeties and Xavier Johnson was left wide open. Do you think that Ohio State's offense would be in trouble if it can't have those big strike touchdown passes to Marvin Harrison or Emeka Igbuka and some other guys in the passing game? Yeah. I The first week against Indiana, who I think maybe has, maybe has a decent defense. It's hard for me to give Tom Allen credit for anything, but <laughs> maybe they have a decent defense. I think Harrison and Abuka had five catches for 34 yards in that game combined. And we were all freaking out. It's like, what are you like? What is the point of this? Why do you have them if you're not throwing them the ball? And so then they fed them early against Youngstown State in week two. And then last week, they're more in the flow. Again, couple coverage breakdowns make it easy, but that's their advantage, right? All right. Maybe don't have the usual quarterback advantage they have, have real questions on the defensive line. You know, I I mean, on the offensive line, you know, the defense is good, but they're still kind of working it out in year two of Jim Knowles. Their edge against Notre Dame and against everybody is their playmakers at receiver. So they have to win the game there. So they have to do that. Now, I'm not saying this as an excuse for 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 Ohio State. 
but I, I think Notre Dame fans just need to have this in their head a little bit. Ohio State did sort of make a big deal of it that last year when Jackson Smith and Jigba gets hurt early in that game as their number one receiver, they had a whole offensive game plan built about around moving Jackson Smith and Jigba all over the field and getting him in matchups. And when that got thrown out the window in the middle of a game, it clunked them up. Now, incredible credit to Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and Al Golden for doing that as well. But over the course of the season, you saw what Marvin Harrison could do. You saw what Emeka Buka could do. They didn't, they were expecting this to be all about Jackson Smith and Jigba. So as long as Ohio State's healthy in this game, I do think you'll still see like a more free-flowing, normal passing game because they like kind of got in their own head even a little bit last year when, when Jackson gets hurt. But yeah, I mean, if you're Notre Dame, take away Marv, man, and and you're going to be in pretty decent shape. Now, just take away the best <laughs> individual skill player, son of a Hall of Famer, future top three NFL draft pick. Great. All you have to do is do that. And you're fine. <laughs> um, there's one player from each team that's kind of switched sides, Javante Jean-Baptiste um, and Lorenzo Styles. And I was looking through the stats trying to find Lorenzo Styles. And he looks like he's played on a little bit of special teams, and that's it. I'm a little bit surprised he's not further along. I know he's changed sides of the ball. He did at Notre Dame right before he decided to get into the portal. I'm curious, what's your thoughts about his future? And then what are your thoughts about uh, Javante's present at Notre Dame? So Lorenzo Styles, as I said, their, their corners are pretty good. So they have Denzel Burke as a third-year guy who's their number one corner. They have Jordan Hancock as a third-year guy who battled injury his first two years, but they really like him. And then they have Davison Igbignosin as a second-year guy who's a transfer, got him in the portal uh, out of the SEC. So those are their top three guys, and that's kind of all who plays at corner. So they did say a lot of good stuff about Lorenzo Styles during August camp. They really like it, but I do think here – it was more kind of viewed as come here, switch positions. Not that he'll like be an actual red shirt, but almost treat this as a red shirt year. And then there should be some openings at the corner next year. And so play special teams, but I just, you know, they really like what they saw from him. And I, they have a couple of true freshman corners. They have a couple sophomore corners. He might be there fifth or sixth corner right now so you know you get a couple injuries and all of a sudden you're getting down to that point but i do think long term they think he could play here and then it's just kind of cool his younger brother Sonny, is a second year player here five-star recruit who they're starting at safety and moves all over the field and is a game changer now Sonny has not last week they put the, a nickel corner in for him. So he didn't play as many snaps last week. So if you're going like truly three wide with three receivers on the field, they take Sonny Styles off the field. But, um, you know, the Styles are being very good. Their dad played here at Ohio State. So the Styles have been good. Um, and then Javante Jean Baptiste was like played a lot last year at Ohio State. Like he, he was in the defensive end rotation. So, um, you know, they, they have enough guys to make up for him, but that was a guy who did get on the field here. And like, you know, how sometimes like on PFF, 
some guys just grade really well. His PFF grades were always like awesome. Yeah. And it was like, you know, he was a good solid player here. It wasn't a huge deal when he left, but I think you know, like he probably played more and contributed more than I think even maybe Ohio State fans realize here. So Doug, defensively for Ohio State, what do you think is is there a weakness to the defense? What what, what should Ohio State be most concerned about when it comes to its matchup against Notre Dame? So it is, I think, that the defensive line gets close but doesn't get home, right? That that's kind of being a th- – and I know Marcus talked about it this week too. Like it's not all about sacks. Sometimes fans, guys like us, we get wound up about sacks. And if you're pressuring the quarterback, and I know you know Marcus talked about the defensive efficiency rating where Notre Dame's first in the country, I think Ohio State's eighth in pass efficiency defense, right? So that's what it's about. But – I do think their their corners can cover. They've gotten in trouble a couple times when they wind up in situations where they're overly aggressive and their safeties get matched up one-on-one. So that's what they don't want to do. But I think like the, the, the way it looks bad for Ohio State is if Hartman has all day, and it doesn't matter how good their corners are, you can't cover for that long. And so that to me is if they just never bother Sam Hartman at all. And then maybe on top of that, if Knowles gets a little jumpy, it's like, oh my gosh, now we got to bring it. And now all of a sudden you're one-on-one and you got a slot receiver on a safety who's not actually a cover guy. And now we're back to where Ohio State was against Michigan last year. So their linebackers are good. I've, I've The secondary's played well. It's really about if they're – Defensive line just can't get any consistent pressure. You know, you probably know the transcription software Otter, which I used yesterday, and then you clean it up. Every time Marcus said sacks, Otter interpreted it as sex. Nice. Yeah. So he kept saying, like, don't worry about sex. Yeah, don't worry about sex. Everybody wants to talk about sex, but I'm not worried about it. (laughs) So but my last question for you, Doug, was, you know, Ryan Day, you look at his numbers, he's won an incredible amount of games, and I know what it's like growing up in Ohio when the coach doesn't consistently beat Michigan every single season. So I know that there's some people that are not maybe as big of fans as they could be. I'm wondering, though, overall, how is he perceived? How do you perceive him in the hierarchy of college head coaches? Yeah, so I do – I mean, it's shifting a little bit. Marcus, I think, is part of the shift. There was that time, right, everybody wanted an offensive guru as the head coach. And so, I, you know, Lincoln-Riley kind of really led the way on that. And then Ryan Day really followed the Lincoln-Riley path. That's been a, a story here when that happened. Bob Stoops decides to retire at Oklahoma. They promote the young offensive coordinator who's never been a head coach. And when Gene Smith decided to do that here with Urban Meyer, he talked about how he talked to Joe Castiglione in Oklahoma about doing it. So Lincoln Riley helped clear the path for Ryan Day. So I do think he is a really good schemer offensively. He has retained play calling duties this year. He had talked about giving it up, handing it over to Brian Hartline, and then he couldn't do it. Like we, It was like a big story in April, a big story in August. And then he got to the season, like, ah, I'm still going to do it. It was like, you do it. You can't make yourself give it up. There is a question. I think that certainly beyond Michigan, the fan 
fan base, right? I think Hasler questions about Ryan Day in big games. So they go to the wire with Georgia in a playoff semifinal, but they don't get it done. Um, they lose in 2021 in the regular season to Oregon, right? Which is the big non-conference game like this game against Notre Dame is here this year. Um, you know, they lose the national title game in 2020 to Alabama in 2019. They're undefeated in the regular season. They lose in the college football playoff to Clemson. So there's sort of a question about, you know, you lose twice to Michigan and people are, as you know, Eric, fired up to say the least. But there is a question a little bit about like just big games in general. I mean, his record, he has an, an, an incredible winning percentage and they've made the playoff three of the four years he's been the head coach. So it's sort of like, I don't like what? What are does what's everyone mad about? But this is a big game. Like to go on the road to a top 10 team with this kind of offensive line and this kind of quarterback, like, you know, like Ryan Day in Ohio State, they kind of have to go in and win here. So they're going to get Penn State in the regular season. I think Penn State's really good. They, they have the Michigan game waiting. Maybe Wisconsin isn't as good as maybe you thought going into the season, but they still have a trip to Wisconsin. So I don't think they have to go 12-0 and in the regular season, but they're going to have a bunch of big games. And they've probably got to win three of the four, and it starts here. So I think people know how good he is, and some people go off the deep end about the Michigan losses. I just try to tell fans Michigan's great right now. Like, what are you going to do? But there is an extension to that, that, that this kind of big game against a, an equal talent team or close to equal talent, he's got to win it. Doug, I know we'll be welcoming plenty of reporters uh, to Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday. I'm curious, what do you think uh, will be the Ohio State contingent in terms of the fan base? Uh, Notre Dame has had a a bad track record in recent years of allowing a lot of opposing fans into the stadium. What is your sense for how much red will be in Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday? So they travel like crazy, man. And 250 miles from Columbus is not that far. Um The story I always tell about that is Ohio State played at Cal in 2013. And I was going to the bathroom right before kickoff in the press box. And Tom Herman, who was then the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, um, was in his uh, second year at Ohio State and was like, I can't believe how many Ohio State fans are here. It's like we were in California (laughs) and three quarters of the stadium was scarlet. Now that's Cal, right? That's not Notre Dame. So I don't know. I would imagine, right? I mean, if they can get their hands on them, they're going to be there. So Ohio State fans love to travel. And again, as you guys know, I'm sure you've talked about that this is the eighth meeting in the history of these two programs. We've been each been planned for more than 130 years. And it's only the third time that Ohio State's going to be in South Bend for a game, 1936, 1996. And now it's sort of, I'm sure for Ohio State fans, it's a now or never a little bit like, man, I want to, I want to see a game in Notre Dame stadium. I want to go take a picture with touchdown Jesus. I want to be there. When else are you going to go? So there's a lot of Ohio State fans um, who love to travel and do this kind of thing. And if they can get their hands on the tickets, they'll be there. Yeah, contrary to rumor, I wasn't at the early Ohio State Notre Dame. Game. <laughs> Not thirty six. You were sick to there. Yeah. All right, Doug. Well, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and uh, we will catch up with you throughout the week. I'm sure. Can I do one more plug? And I absolutely apologize. go ahead. Do it. So I started this new job because primarily. Um, it's to start a new college football show. And it's going to be a Northern college football show. 
that's going to be called Kings of the North. And it's going to officially launch next summer, but we're kind of doing a soft open right now. We have a Kings of the North YouTube channel. We do have a Kings of the North podcast feed. And the idea to me is to capture sort of like the, the, to celebrate Northern college football, talk about like the societal impact. I feel like there's like juice around Southern football and Mm -hmm. why should they only get that? So we've taken, we have 28 teams that we claim big 10, you know, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Utah, Pitt, Syracuse, West Virginia, Cincinnati, but but who else? Notre Dame. So we are talking a lot about Notre Dame, and it's in this context of we all have, you know, Ohio State and Notre Dame have a ton in common. They're not in the same conference, but there's a lot, I think, that connects the fans, connects the programs. So there would be reason for Notre Dame fans to try out Kings of the North. Look for it on YouTube, soft launch now, big launch next year. And I was in South Bend with you guys on Monday, and I I covered Marcus Freeman when he was a player at Ohio State. I said, Marcus, we're starting a new thing. Like, can I have you on? And I think maybe he'll come on. So, like, we want to – we're going to talk Notre Dame a lot because I think Notre Dame's good and is going to continue to be good. And I want to celebrate and contextualize Northern football because it's not only in the South where they love this sport. Awesome. That sounds like an awesome idea. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get to talk about, you know, I love talking Ohio State, but I just think, and this is like prime time, man. Notre Dame's good. Michigan's good. Washington's good. Penn State's good. Like, this is a great time to do this. So I'm really excited for it. So again, I, I thanks for indulging me on that, guys. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. All right. Now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Bob underscore Oxnard on the Insider Lounge. What percentage of the stadium on Saturday will be filled with an ugly color, scarlet and gray? Well, I'm going to guess 25%, and maybe I'm going to be too low, but I think, uh, and I was... (laughs) I I was challenged by this on Twitter last night. Um, I think, you know, Notre Dame decided to sell to, to it only its season ticket base for this game. And you could get quite a few tickets if you were that in the season ticket base. But I thought that seemed to lean more toward maybe people not selling tickets if you had sold it to the general public. It seemed like it would be easier for Ohio State fans to get their hands on it. I I mean, I know a lot of Ohio State fans. I don't know any of them that are coming to the game. And generally, they go to games like this. So that's why I'm saying at 25%. But I have no idea. Yeah, I don't don't have any sort of uh, way to measure or, uh, or any sort of insight. I would, I'm guessing 35%, a little bit higher than you. Um, I just think that there are a lot of Ohio State fans that want to be at the game um, and uh, we'll try to find a way. And there seemingly are too many Notre Dame fans who are willing to to part with their tickets for for some cash. So uh, I think that that allows Ohio State to get up to maybe 35 percent in the stadium. All right. Next question is from SJB 75 on the entire lounge five days out and you have watched Notre Dame play four games. If Notre Dame is to win, what concerns you most regarding Notre Dame's 11 against the Ohio State 11 on both sides of the football going into this game? 
Notre Dame's pass rush and Notre Dame's offensive line. Those would be the two things that I'm least um, least sure about when it comes to the Irish football team. That's interesting because it sounds uh, that's the same concerns that that Doug had for Ohio State. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, especially with Marcus Freeman wanting to have an O-line, D-line driven program, if if that's the biggest concern for another team, you would like to think that Notre Dame should be able to take advantage. Well, I mean, that. that was the breaking point last year was right. those two things. Yep. Um, for me, Notre Dame's offense is uh, the wide receiver's inability to get open quickly, um, which then puts more pressure on Notre Dame's pass protection. Um, and then Notre Dame's defense, um, it would just be preventing OSU from making those big plays, as I sort of indicated with my questioning towards Doug, I think. Um, that is the key to this Ohio State offense as it's currently configured. I don't know that Ohio State can 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 successfully sustain a ton of drives with its running game being not as strong as you'd expect, an offensive line that's not as strong as you would expect. Um, and so it relies on those big plays, and Notre Dame's got to make sure that it prevents those because it's easier said than done. All right, next question is from Charles W. Wolf on Twitter. What position group versus position group battle do you think is the key to victory this week? I think it's Notre Dame's front seven versus Ohio State's offensive line. If Notre Dame can generate pressure, if they can make Ohio State's running game look like it's the 68th best rushing attack in the country, which is what they are now, then Sam Hartman can do his magic on the other side of things and Notre Dame walks out of Notre Dame Stadium with a victory. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's sort of echoing what are the answers to the previous question, but my, mine is specifically Notre Dame's corners versus Ohio State's receivers because I just think that if Notre Dame does limit Marvin Harrison and Emeka Gugla from making big plays, I'm not sure that Ohio State is built to beat Notre Dame. Um, and we will put up enough points to beat Notre Dame, so that – is why I think that's the most important position battle for Notre Dame. All right, next question is Jack, from Jack Quinn at JQ6008. How concerned are you about the D-line's pass rush, given that they got gassed right up the middle by CMU? Or sorry, you didn't D-line's he rush defense. He didn't, yeah, he didn't say pass rush. Rush defense, given that they got gassed right up the middle. Right. Um, You know, those two backs for Central Michigan hadn't done much in the um, earlier Central Michigan games, uh, their leading rusher coming into that game was the starting quarterback who didn't even play now. Jace Bauer had run for a lot of yards last year and had played quite a bit last year. And I think Notre Dame was probably focused on stopping the quarterback runs and the quarterback scrambles. But here's where I kind of mitigate some of the concern. I think with J.D. Bertrand and the normal linebacker rotation back with D.J. Brown back and the normal safety rotations restored, possibly Gabe Rubio in the mix, I think Notre Dame has a pretty good chance to get that corrected. And I think it's going to help not having to face a true dual-threat quarterback for the first time this season. I think it's a huge matchup. And I do think, yeah, I mean, that would be concerning if you're sitting at home watching the TV and saying, what's Ohio State's backs going to do against their defense? But I think because of those factors, I think Notre Dame will perform better in that area um, 
when it matters this week. Yeah, I, I'm not as worried about the middle of Notre Dame's defensive line as I would be sort of the edge with, I mean, if I'm targeting Notre Dame's defense, I'm trying to run at Jordan Botello. I'm trying to run at Thomas Harper. Um, I, Thomas Harper is a solid nickelback in terms of helping against the run, but he's not the same as a linebacker. And I think Notre Dame's going to be forced to play a lot of nickel. Um, and so that, that weakens your run defense um, because of that. So I think that is the potential weakness in Notre Dame's run defense um, that that could be exposed. Now, maybe maybe Notre Dame tries to overcompensate for that, and then that opens things up in the middle. Um, but I think that would be my concern as it, as it relates to Notre Dame's run defense. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What can be done in practice to improve tackling for Saturday? Do you think sometimes simplifying the scheme would help players to tackle better, less to worry think, slash think about? I'm all for scheming up a defense, but feel like mixing in some vanilla defensive play might be helpful. As far as what can they improve tackling for Saturday, Marcus Freeman was asked that question Monday, and he kind of explained what they couldn't do was go live in practice and risk injury, but they can do drills at full speed. They can film study. They can work on fundamentals. They already do a lot of player rotation to keep players fresh so that they can tackle better. I think some of it comes down to communication. And again, I think J.D. Bertrand and D.J. Brown are two of the best communicators on the team. They know the defense probably as well as anybody and and are able to get it to their teammates. I don't think the scheme is overly taxing, especially, especially in the second year. Maybe last year we could have said that. Um and so again, with without the two of the best communicators, diagnose play diagnosers on the field, if that's even a word, um, I think maybe it suffered a little bit, and we'll see some improvement there this week. Yeah, I think when you have guys filling in or taking on greater roles, that that then they can be maybe more hesitant because they're thinking more because they're not playing what they're used to. Um, so maybe then you would need to simplify the scheme. I don't know that that would be the wisest decision against the def- an offense that might have more talent than you at some positions. Um, because if they're already more talented than you, they can probably beat you straight up. So it's hard to play them straight up. Um, so yeah, in terms of like what they can do to improve tackling, I think it's just reminding of the finer points of the, of the tackling drills. I think it's reviewing what went wrong when they miss tackles, but I don't think like they're not going to get better at tackling. They are what they are as tacklers. It's a matter of actually executing what they've been taught and have learned to this point. They're not going to make some sort of significant strides as tacklers and become better tacklers from last week to this week. They just have to actually reach the level of tacklers that they are. Cause I think Notre Dame, some of Notre Dame's players didn't tackle up to their standard uh, against central Michigan. Next question is from Sammy Kranz at S. Kranzam. Will Al Golden let his defensive line eat on Saturday, or will he try to be the smartest coach on the field and scheme his way into pressure? Um, why not do both? Uh, I'm not sure what would give you the impression that they're starving. Um, you know, in at Virginia, for example, they had a different game plan. They had a quarterback that did most of his damage scrambling out of the pocket and they were able to contain him this will be a different game plan too uh 
and I'm not sure. It sounds like the question, maybe I'm interpreting wrong, that try to be the smartest coach on the field and scheme his way into pressure sounds like a negative. I, I think yes, given Notre Dame's... It sounds like Sammy believes that Notre Dame is putting itself in bad spots because it's blitzing too much and that it's defensive line right. can be better without the blitz. Well, I mean, I think if you still had Isaiah Foskey around and the, maybe the Adam Malola twins, you would do less of that. I don't think Notre Dame at least has shown on the edges that they have difference makers. I think they have a lot of good players that can rotate in that are assignment correct, but I think this is the approach that Notre Dame has to take with the personnel they have. Maybe those guys through the course of the season will grow into um, a front four that can just, you can just unleash them and say linebackers just sit back and do your jobs. Uh, But I think bringing pressure from the linebacker level has to be a part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I don't have, I don't know what the stats are off the top of my head, but the last time I checked, like some of Notre Dame's linebackers, JD Bertrand and Jack Kaiser are winning at a higher rate in terms of their pass rush than Notre Dame's defensive linemen are. So it's, it's not like the defensive line is filled with studs that are, getting pressure and, and beating their men um, on regular basis. Uh, so I think that Notre Dame has to, has to do different things to put those guys in positions to, to succeed. Um, so I, I just don't think this defensive line has proven it can eat on its own. I think it needs some help. Um, and so that's why Al Golden is, has been doing things now. Now blitzing safeties on third and long <laughs> um, in the, in the red zone. Let's, let's, uh, let's leave that one in last year's playbook, but um, I think I think Al Golden has to do some different things to 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 mix it up to be able to create pressure. All right, next one is from at double underscore Domer underscore Scott. Let's talk about Andy's defense. Other than corners, is Al Golden and his scheme getting the most out of any of our players? If so, who does our defense accentuate any of the players' talents and maximize their abilities? Why isn't Andy getting more tackles for loss and more sacks? I feel like some of these questions are overlapping. Um, it's, it seems like if we're getting questions like Notre Dame gave up 40 points last week. It's kind yeah. Of... <laughs> uh, um, again, some of it may be as far as the lack of sacks and, and uh, tackles for loss. Some of that, maybe they have a lot of good players, but few difference makers. Um, but some of it's game plan. I mean, defending the triple option that had some, throwing elements to it, and Navy has thrown the ball a lot more in the subsequent games than they did against Notre Dame. They just got on their heels too much against Notre Dame to really unleash that. Um, And then you had, um, you know, a dual-threat guy in Virginia, or I'm sorry, NC NC State. State. You said Virginia earlier, but I didn't correct you. Yeah, and (laughs) Brandon Armstrong. Well, he played there for four years, for four or five years, i yeah, he's at NC State now. He was good when he was at Virginia. Um, so, you know, again, I think there's some validity to what Marcus said about, hey, you know, Notre Dame's got the number one pass efficiency defense in the country. That means you're rushing passes. You, it's a low completion. You're getting interceptions. You're doing all the things that you want to do uh, by pressure. And yet I do think in this game, with a quarterback who's not a tool, 
true dual threat. Notre Dame does have to get home and get some sacks and get Ohio State off schedule and behind the chains and have a second and 17 or a third and 16 when they have receivers as good as they are. Um, But I don't know whose talents aren't being enhanced. I guess that would be a shorter list for me. You're talking about the number four defense in the country. And I look around and I see Xavier Watts and Thomas Harper and Jack Kaiser and Jalen Sneed. I mean, um, you know, these are outside of the cornerbacks, you know, and you see some good young players developing like Josh Burnham. I, I'm, I guess I'm not watching the same game. Yeah, especially at the safety position. We're talking about guys that are playing new positions throughout their career. Like, at least so, the way that the safety position has played so far this year, I, it seems like they're getting the most out of what they have back there. The Notre Dame's not running out five-star receivers or five-star safeties. They're not even running out four-star safeties. Like, they're running out guys that were not safety recruits that have been changed into positions um, and trying to get the most out of them. Um, and I feel like they're doing a pretty good job with that. Um, I think the linebackers, I mean, those aren't NFL draft picks. I don't think, uh, maybe Maris Leifau is, but I don't think those guys are draft picks. And I think they're playing pretty well for their talent. Um, Howard Cross, I think has played pretty well. I, I, I like what Javante Jean-Baptiste has been doing, even though he's not getting the sacks. I think he's been making, um, making plays for, for Notre Dame in terms of creating pressures. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of different players you could point to that are, that Notre Dame sort of maximizing their abilities. I don't think that Notre Dame has the talent on defense. Um, the production that Notre Dame's defense is getting so far this season is outweighing the talent they have, in my opinion. So um, now, now maybe I guess the I guess though, if I'm trying to f- figure out what issues folks are having with what what's going on, is maybe that it's some of the younger guys that are highly ta- talented. Um, aren't like elevating their play and succeeding at a high level. Like maybe someone like Jalen Sneed, who isn't, who hasn't become the guy that we think Jalen Sneed will become yet, but he's a younger player. And uh, I think he needs experience and Notre Dame likes the linebackers that are, that are on the field for him regularly. So I, I, I don't, I don't know uh, that I necessarily agree with the premise of, of most of those questions. Um, But Again, like that, we've talked about the tackles for loss and sacks part. Like it's part of the defensive scheme. It's part of the offensive that they've been playing against. Um, that is that has limited the the totals there so far this season. All right. Next question is from at Mike Devoy one with the Deuce Knight commitment. Does Notre Dame continue recruiting Bear Bachmeyer given his connections to ND? It would be nice to have two highly ranked quarterbacks in the class. Yeah. Yeah. That. Quarterback recruitment in the 2025 cycle really had some twists and turns to it. I don't think it's realistic that uh, Bear Bachmeyer would end up at the same school in the same class as somebody like Deuce Knight that's that highly regarded. It, it, he's just too good unless he really, really loved Notre Dame. He's just too good because he could really be the featured quarterback in the class and a guy that is looking for an opportunity to get on the field in a reasonable amount of time. He's got that kind of talent. He's just got too many other attractive 
options. However, if I were Notre Dame, I would stay in touch with him because right. we've seen some crazy things happen with recruits, especially in the NIL era. And, um, you know, you you would hope that Deuce Knight holds firm through December, but we'll see if that happens. But, you know, he's a really good quarterback, and I think he'll have a lot of good options. I think Stanford and Oregon, in reading Adam Gorney this morning, seem like the two that would have the edge in him right now. Yeah, I don't. How do you recruit a 2026 quarterback if you have Deuce Knight, Bear Bachmeyer in the 2025 class and CJ Carr in the 2024 class? Like, I think that it makes it just, it's too hard to, to be able to do that and overcome the log jam there. I mean, you're already going to have guys transferring out, even if you take, even from taking one quarterback per cycle, taking two, I think is too big of an ask. Um, when you're not going to, you're not going to get like all those guys aren't going to play. Um, so I don't know that you can you can do that. So I I, th- I still think you leave the line of communication open, but you don't you don't take two quarterbacks in a class, and you you never take two, and you never take zero. Um, that that's sort of my that's sort of uh, the only time you would take two unless you've been completely depleted on your roster, and and you need to do that. But other, otherwise, I think the transfer portal is where you look for those additions rather than taking two quarterbacks in a class. All right, next question is from at Drew Brennan 77. Would a win this weekend by Notre Dame move Marcus Freeman up on the Ohio State future coaching list? Additionally, where would you have him slotted right now on that list? I think this is a really fun question for message boards. It's, I don't even, my mind doesn't even think this way. It's kind of like asking your wife which of her former boyfriends she'd like to date. I, I, I just, it just, and and I've been around programs and college football long enough where, you know, the situation changes from year to year. Who the hot coaches are one year aren't necessarily the guys that everybody's all excited about, um, you know, the next year. Otherwise, the Iowa State coach would have landed, a, you know, all these great coaching jobs that are better than Iowa State. And... Uh, so it just doesn't enter my mind. And, and I'm not sure that that's in Marcus's mind. I think what what's interesting to me about covering Marcus right now is who he turns into as Notre Dame's head coach. And, and that's kind of what I'm measuring. And so I'm not really looking. I'm not saying it would never happen. I just, you know, they have a, they have a coach who's, seems to be employed and and, uh, other than losses to Michigan, they seem fairly happy with. So I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. Hopefully Tyler's got a way better answer than I do. Um, I, I don't know that I have a better answer. I, I tried to at least think about it. Um, and I'm I'm trying, I'm right now I'm trying to, I don't think Ohio state has a athletic director name that's planning to replace Gene Smith. Right. So this will be a question that the next athletic director could potentially be faced with. And if they're not the ED now, I don't know that a win this weekend would be, would change their mind. Cause they're not even that person yet. But anyway, it's like, certainly Notre Dame beating Ohio state with Marcus Freeman as the head coach would be good for Marcus Freeman's resume. Um, and uh, that would, that would be a good thing for him. If Ohio state wanted to consider him, uh, I don't, I don't know what the list looks like in terms of who, who would be, 
candidates to be a future Ohio State head coach that, I mean, names like Eric mentioned, it names come and go so frequently. Um, and I, I don't know. Well, you just we, look at Michigan State's list right now. I mean, Mike Elko is supposedly at the top of that list. Mike Elko wouldn't have been there a year or two ago. Or three weeks ago, right? Like before right. the Clemson game. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh like I, I don't know if two years like say say this is next year. Say Ryan Day gets fired after after the end of this year. Um would Marcus Freeman have enough on his resume to be the next Ohio State coach? I think that isn't unreasonable. Would he be above Luke Fickle on that list? I, I don't know. Um, I think Luke Fickle has done more as a head coach than Marcus Freeman has done. Now, maybe Marcus Freeman has had a phenomenal season for Notre Dame this year, and that changes that picture. Um, but I don't know. There's there's all kinds of names that I, I couldn't even imagine who who they would be. Uh, I always like Kyle Whittingham as a coach. I, I, I'm surprised Utah's been able to keep him as long as it has. Um, Lance Leopold, the coach from Kansas, has Midwest ties as, as being a white Wisconsin Whitewater coach. I don't know if he would make sense as an Ohio State coach. I'm sure there's NFL coordinators that could be potential Ohio State Ohio State head coaches. So, um, I think we're the wrong people to ask. I think the Ohio State writers would probably have way more insight to this than than we do as as Notre Dame writers. All right, last question is from Olivier Doust uh, at Ali Doust L. Who should be the guest picker uh, at College Game Day? Any clue? I'll put Sean Astin for 30 years of Rudy. I like your idea. Um, you know, that came up on Football Never Sleeps on our YouTube channel the other night, and I said Taylor Swift. I think I was just trying to please Tyler. Um, I, I, I guess the person, I think it would be kind of cool because he hasn't been around Notre Dame for a while and I think the first time I had seen him at a game in quite a while was the Ireland game and that's Joe Montana so Joe Montana would be my pick um yeah that would be that would be interesting because like you mentioned Joe Montana hasn't necessarily had a big presence around Notre Dame as of late um I guess John John Bon Jovi on our football never sleep show um I think that's that's more who I think it may be, like just in terms of like trying to figure out what college game day would do. If I'm picking with my personal suggestion, suggestion, I would pick Miles Teller, who is a Notre Dame fan um, and is a, a pretty famous actor. Most recent, most recently starred in the latest Top Gun movie, and so I think that would be a pretty cool get. I think the Taylor Swift thing, I think, is is Notre Dame fans thinking more of. Uh, Notre Dame's and college game day's ability to get someone like Taylor. So Taylor Swift is enormous. Like, I don't know that she's coming on to college game day to be a guest picker. Um, I think she sort of transcends that and doesn't need uh, the ESPN college game day platform to do whatever she wants or, or get her, get her word out to people. Um, and she, it's not like she needs uh, more advertising right right now. So um, I, I don't, I don't think it would Didn't be Taylor Swift. Brother, like go to Notre Dame. At some yes. Point? Yeah. So there is a, uh, yeah. And she's been to a Notre Dame game before when she was a uh, much, much younger. Um, so uh, I think that's why hey, she was that. a, she was a mega mentor on the voice. If she can do that, she can be the guest picker on game. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. If only uh college game day was about music, maybe they'd have a better chance. <laughs> 
Uh, well, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who didn't sell their tickets to Saturday's game. We are rolling through our weekly audio and video content with the Inside Indie Sports Podcast every Tuesday. And then over on our YouTube channel, we have Football Never Sleeps live every Monday night. Place your bets every Friday before a game and post-game takeaways late Saturday slash early Sunday, and that will definitely be early Sunday um, this weekend after the Ohio State game. If you have any suggestions for future guests, hit us up. Maybe we can see if Eric Hansen can can book uh, Taylor Swift for our podcast. Maybe if College Game Day can't, maybe Eric can do it for the Inside Indie Sports podcast. I'll ask her. Eric Eric has certainly made a lot of cool guests happen, and if there's someone that you're pining for, we want to know, so so hit us up if you have someone that you'd like to hear on the podcast. And as always, stick with InsideIndieSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs>